And now this evening, saints, we will examine the deity of Christ. And what I want to do this evening is give us give a basic standard, uh, typical lesson of the deity of Christ by examining the scriptures and, and looking for the biblical witness to the deity of Christ and some of the practical implications of the deity of Christ. So let's, let's not stand, but if you could turn to the Gospel of John, and I will not be uh, expounding this scripture, but I want to begin with this scripture. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, the word of the Lord says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one in Trinity, Trinity in unity, we come before you this evening to once again ask that your Spirit will accompany us this evening as the Word goes forth, that your Spirit will enlighten our minds and eyes and ears to God's Word, that we will come to your Word, not as a lawyer, but not as one who wants to debate your Word, but one who comes under your Word and loves your Word and takes your Word for what it is. So help us this evening by your spirit, Father, and know what it means for Jesus to be God, co-essential, co-eternal with the Father and Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Over the centuries, there have been much debate over the question, is Jesus God? When Christ asked his disciples in Matthew 16, who did the people say that the Son of Man is? He wasn't asking a question to the disciples that they haven't heard before. In fact, the question, who is Jesus Christ, who is Jesus, was the question that was on everyone's mind in the days of Jesus Christ. Who is this man from, from Galilee? Who is this man from Bethlehem? And it's been a question that's been highly debated since Christ and ever since the days after Christ. Saints, who is Jesus Christ, and more specifically, is he truly God? Is he, as the Nicene Creed says, is he very God of very God? Is he truly God? Is a question we, we must examine and, and, and try to explore, try to answer. Uh, to Muslims, uh, Jesus isn't God, but rather Jesus is a prophet, a great prophet, in a line of other great prophets. He is not divine. And when I say a divine, when I say deity, when I say uh, divinity, think of God. And you're going to be hearing those words used interchangeably this evening. Uh, to some Jews, uh, Jesus isn't divine. He isn't God. Rather, he's God's agent. He comes in the name of God, but he is not divine. He is not co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. Uh, to some New Age adherents, uh, Christ is God, but... Everyone is God. Everyone is God. Uh, the tree is God. Uh, everything is God. Throughout church history, uh, there has been no shortage of ink spilled over the question, is Jesus God? And many throughout church history have moved away from the clear biblical witness to Christ's deity and offered alternatives. Here are a few 
uh, her- heresies that den- deny the deity of Christ. In the second century, the church debated a heresy called dynamic monarchianism, or we can call it adoptionism, which is also known as um, dynamic monarchianism. And what adoptionism teaches is that Jesus is only a man and was by nature not God. He's strictly a man and by nature not God. But here's the quicker, uh, kicker of adoptionism. What made adoptionism distinct was they said that Jesus was tested by God and based upon his perfect obedience to this test, he was granted supernatural powers by God and adopted as the father's son. Let me say that one more time. Based upon Christ, Jesus is a perfect obedience to the father at his baptism, which many will say at his baptism, he was deemed to be the son of God. According to adoptionists, Jesus Christ is not fully God, nor is the eternal God, nor is he eternal like uh, the father and saints. Uh, some of the problems with adoptionism is clearly it denies the biblical witness of scripture to the deity of Christ in, in no way, shape or form do the writers of 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 the Bible ever mention anything about Jesus being adopted. Doesn't mention anything about Jesus, the son being adopted by the father, or doesn't mention anything about Jesus uh, going through this test. And then based upon his obedience, he is given supernatural powers by God. That doesn't happen. That's not uh, within the, the, the bounds of orthodoxy or within the bounds of the clear biblical witness to the deity of Christ and who he is. Next we have, and you might have heard, heard of this before, Arianism, um, which, which was developed around 320. And what Arius taught was God pronounced or produced the son out of nothing as his first and greatest creation. Uh, the son's relationship uh, to the father is not one of nature. Um, it is one of adoption or creation. The son is not the the son of the father by nature, but one of uh, creation. Uh, God adopted Christ as the son, or we should say the father adopted the son or created the son. And uh, through Christ was the creation of all things. And uh, he was put in this great position and authority. Jesus Christ was by the father because he was the first and greatest creation of all things. Some might even say that the Holy Spirit was the first and greatest creation of the Son. So in a nutshell, the Arian controversy, the Arian heresy, can be summed up by Arius' own words. There once was a time when the Son was not. And that's the basic claim of Arianism. That's the basic claim of uh, Jehovah Witnesses. That there once was a time when Jesus was not. Meaning Jesus was a created being with divine attributes, but was not divine in and of himself. Jesus is not God in and of himself. The problem with that, saints, is, again, nowhere in Scripture does it say that the Father created the Son. And I think what the Arians did was they misinterpreted what it means for the Son to be begotten of the Father. They they thought that begottenness has to mean uh, human terms. It has to mean that there once was a time when the son wasn't there and the father had some sort of, 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 uh, there's kids in here, has some sort of relations with, with some, some other person or, or maybe created the son out of nothing. 
Therefore, the son comes into existence by the father. And that's not what we mean when we say the son is eternally begotten from the father. First, we say that the son is begotten from the father, but we have to qualify that with eternal. There wasn't there wasn't a time when the father uh, begat the son. It was it is eternal beginning that never started and never ended. It is it eternal? But also, saints, uh, the heir and heresy um, has to be denied from all of us. Uh, for we know that from Scripture that Jesus Christ in and of himself is truly God, is truly God. He is not like the Father. He is of the same essence or substance of the Father. So here we have two heresies that deny, deny the, the deity of Christ. And there are many others that deny, uh, the, that deny Christ, but, but more so with his humanity, saying that Jesus is, wasn't a real human and things like that. But we'll get there when we speak about the incarnation. Uh, but by God's grace, uh, both Arianism and, both, uh, and, and dynamic monarchianism and adoptionism was condemned by the other church as heresy. So how do we answer these questions that deny the deity of Christ? And how do we answer um, these claims? Well, saints, we must turn to Scripture and see how Jesus is spoken of. How does Scripture uh, look and, and speak about Jesus Christ? And how does, Jesus, how does the Scripture identify Jesus Christ? Uh, do they identify him as someone who uh, wasn't there and then the Father created him? Or does the scripture identify him as one who who uh, was was uh, given a test and based upon his obedience, he is given supernatural powers by the father. Then he is God. We have to look at what the Bible says and the testimony of the Bible uh, as terms in respect to the deity of Christ. So we want to examine the deity of Christ in three points. Number one is what is the deity of Christ? What is the deity of Christ? And number two, the biblical witness to the deity of Christ. The biblical witness to the deity of Christ. And number three, why does it matter and how do we live in light of the deity of Christ? So what is the deity of Christ? The biblical uh, witness to the deity of Christ. And why, why does this matter? Why are we learning about this and how do we live in light of this? So let's consider the first point. What is the deity of Christ? And there were some of you I can see are, are kind of hot. If we can turn the air down to 40 or 30. Um, so let's, let's consider the first point, the deity of Christ. What is the deity of Christ? And saints, uh, before we answer that, you might have seen me do this before, or Pastor Antonio or Pastor John. Or before we answer what a doctrine is, it's good to, to say what a doctrine is not. Uh, this is called negative theology, uh, apophatic theology. So let's first examine what does it not mean when we say the deity of Christ? What do we not mean when we say the deity of Christ? And the deity of Christ doesn't mean that Christ is one God amongst many gods and a pantheon of deities. That Christ, uh, the deity of Christ doesn't mean that Christ is one God among many gods and a pantheon of deities. I think that's pretty simple, meaning Jesus Christ isn't one God in the midst of many gods. He isn't one God in the midst of many gods. He is not a God. It is very improper for us to refer to Jesus Christ as a God. He is the God. Jesus Christ is not one God in the midst of many gods. There is only one God who eternally exists in three persons. Jesus Christ is fully God. 
all of what it means to be God. Jesus Christ is God. Secondly, the deity of Christ doesn't mean that he's a, he, that he's of a similar or derived substance from the Father. Doesn't mean that he is uh, of a similar or derived substance of the Father. Now, what I mean by that, saints, is Jesus Christ. Um, what I mean by that is some would say that Jesus Christ is similar to God, is similar to the Father, but not fully God. He is like the Father, but not but not fully God like the Father is in and of himself. He is like God, but not fully God. And many of those who hold to that view tend to say that Jesus was created by the Father. The saints, we must reject this unbiblical notion for, as we will see from the scriptures, the scriptures are crystal clear that Jesus is fully God, co-essential, co-eternal with the Father. Uh, Thirdly, the deity of Christ doesn't mean that the Son was once a man who by good works was exalted to divinity. Let me say that again. The deity of Christ doesn't mean that the Son was once a man who by good works was exalted to God, Godhood or divinity, deity. Mormons would hold to this idea that based upon Christ's obedience, he was exalted by the Father to divinity. And again, saints, we must reject any notion of Christ being exalted to divinity for Christ in and of himself is God. That's important to note. It's important to remember that Christ in and of himself is God. Fourthly, the deity of Christ doesn't mean that Jesus is divine by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at his baptism. That Jesus isn't divine by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as at his baptism. There are many who hold his, namely the adoptionists. Now, we do say that the Holy Spirit indwelt Jesus Christ, but with respect to his humanity, not respect to his divinity. Why would the Holy Spirit need to indwell the, the divine side, divine nature of Jesus Christ? That wouldn't make any sense. But he did indwell the human nature of Jesus Christ. And we will get there when we speak about the baptism of Christ. And saints, uh, these heretical views are not just views that I dreamt up on the way to, uh, to church uh, this evening, but these four views are heretical and they are held by people. This, this is the type of stuff you will encounter when you speak to people about the deity of Christ. And someone will say that, He was once a man, became God. He became God, but supernatural powers based upon his obedience at his baptism um, and so on and so forth. And we reject all of those notions, saints. And it's good for us to see what's out there, to see what others hold to in regards to the deity of Christ. So, saints, what do we mean when we say the deity of Christ? What do we mean when we say the deity of Christ? Well, it's simply this, saints. To say the deity of Christ is to say that Christ is true and essential God, co-essential with the Father. That Christ is true and essential God, co-essential with the Father. Now again, we, we ought not to be scared of big words and theological language. And what I mean by that, saints, is Jesus Christ is of the same substance or essence of the Father. That Jesus Christ is of the same substance or essence of the Father. Let me give you an example. We all individually or as a, as, 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 as humans, we all share 
in that one essence, humanity. All that it means to be human, we all share that. Humanity is our essence. We all share that. So when we say that Jesus is co-essential, co-eternal with the Father, that, that Jesus, the Son, is of the same substance or essence with the Father, what we are saying is all that it means for the Father to be God, the Son, Jesus Christ, possesses that. He has that in and of himself. All that it means for the Father to be God, all that it tells, most wise, most holy, simple, immutable, impassable, all of those wonderful attributes and things we say about God, the Father possesses, and the Son has in and of himself, Jesus Christ. That's what it means when we say uh, the Son is co-essential with the Father, that the Son is of the same substance or essence with the Father. Our confession of faith in chapter 8, paragraph 2, defines the deity of Christ like this. The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, one of substance and equal with Him who made the world, who upholdeth and governeth all things He hath made. Again, they are just repeating what we have already said, that the Son, Jesus Christ, is of the same substance All that it means to be God, the Son, Jesus Christ, has in his humanity and also in his deity. But we'll speak about that when we get to the incarnation. He uh, governs the whole uh, world just like uh, the Father does. He upholds the world just like the Father does. So simply put, saints, Jesus Christ, when we say the deity of Christ, we are saying he is almighty God, that Jesus is almighty God. God. He is of the same essence of the Father. All what it means to be God must be predicated to Jesus Christ. Again, all that it means to be God must be predicated to Jesus Christ. There is nothing that the Father has with respect to his divinity that the Son doesn't have or that the Spirit lacks. There is nothing that the Father has with respect to his divinity that the Son or the Spirit do not have. The Father is unchanging, therefore Jesus Christ in his divinity is unchanging. The Father is impassable, therefore Jesus Christ in his divinity is impassable. We can go on uh, and, and, and multiply those. Uh, Wilhelm Brockel makes a wonderful observation. He says, it is therefore blasphemous if one would dare to deny that the Lord Jesus is very God and to, and to suggest uh, that he is merely called God, hear this, because of his miraculous conception, his mission in this world, God's love towards him, his miracles, his ministry, his resurrection from the dead, and his glorification. And here, here, here's this. This is a wonderful observation. None of these things render one divine. None of these things render one divine. They are proofs of rather than the basis for his deity. If you didn't catch that, basically what Abrakel is saying is we aren't saying Jesus is God based upon his miracles and works. The miracles and works of Jesus Christ only prove that he is divine. But his works are not the basis for his divinity. They are proofs of his divinity. And saints, before we close this point, you might say, well, all that we have said so far, he is 
a co-essential, co-eternal, uh, one in substance and essence with the Father, the Son is. All these big words that we are using, are they really necessary in order for us to say or come to a proper definition of the deity of Christ? Can't we just say Christ is God, look at scriptures and be done with it? Well, yeah, we can do that, but there is a a certain uh, element of stepping into our boats and going over to the deep end and and looking at what uh, the people throughout church history have said about the deity of Christ and the language they've used concerning the deity of Christ. We must use these language and and hold on to these words when we say the deity of Christ, that he is co-essential, one in substance and essence with the Father. Pastor Cam Porter has said, we aren't saved by, and this is a really good observation, we aren't saved by theological precision. We aren't saved by theological precision, but the saved are to be theologically precise. We aren't saved by theological precision, saints, but the saved are to be theologically precise. And that is why we must hold on to these words that have stood the test of time uh, in regards to the deity of Christ. What Pastor Cam is saying is, Getting every every area of our theology accurately right, accurately right, doesn't save us. We're not saved by our accurate theology. However, we are to be Christian, Christians who strive to be accurately right, accurately right in what we confess. We are to strive to be accurately right and theologically precise in what we confess. Just as, and I remember, and Pastor Antonio uh, gave me this example Last week when he spoke about, um, if someone was to talk to you or someone was to, if someone was to, to ask, uh, you a question about someone else, uh, wouldn't you want to be as accurate about the description of that person they're, they're asking about? Or even you in general, if someone was asking about yourself, wouldn't you want that person who's asking about yourself, wouldn't you want them to, to get who you are correct? And saints, we must get the deity of Christ correct. We must not just simply say he is God, slap some Bible verses, and then go on the rest of our lives. We we must examine this um, as fully as we can, even though it is a a mountain to climb. So saints, in light of that, we must uh, read hard. uh, We must read long. We must study hard, read, uh, study hard, especially when it comes to the deity of Christ. So in closing, when we say the deity of Christ, we are saying Jesus Christ is fully God. He is fully God. He is very God, co-essential with the Father in power and authority. Now let's look at the biblical witness to the deity of Christ. The biblical witness to the deity of Christ. And we have a a few texts we must consider. Uh, The first is John chapter 10, verse 30. And if you can, and if you want to, you can follow along with me. If not, then that's fine. Just write them down and you can examine them later. But we have John chapter 10. Verse 30, John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus makes this statement after the Jews have been uh, pushing him and, and questioning him and, and begging him to say, are you the Christ? Give me an answer. Are you the Christ? Jesus, as he always does, takes it one step further. Rather than saying, yes, I am the Christ, which is meaning the Messiah. Yes, I am the Messiah, the one who was promised long ago. Rather than saying that, he says, I and the Father are one. 
Christ says in this statement, I and the Father are one. He's saying that he is equal with the Father. He is equal with the Father, meaning he and the Father share the same essence. All that it means to be God, the Son and the Father share. Christ is of the same substance, which is the same thing as saying essence, with the Father. Again, saints, for Christ to share of the same substance with the Father is to say that all that the Father is in and of himself to be God, Jesus Christ has. Just as our children are just as fully human as we are. They share equally our humanity. Jesus, the eternal Son, the eternal begotten Son, is just as God as the Father. Now, saints, when I say just as God as the Father, you're not to take that and think, well, are you saying that Jesus, the Son, is like the Father? It is improper to say that Jesus is like the Father in his divinity, but rather Jesus is 100% God. Because when we say Jesus is like the Father, that carries the notion of Jesus is a lesser God than the Father. That the Son is lesser in his divinity than the Father. Some Jehovah Witnesses love to use that. But but when we say Jesus is uh, is just as God as the Father, we are saying that he is 100% God with respect to his divinity, as the Father is. John 1.1, 1, 1. we read this earlier, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here we have this wonderful prologue to the Gospel of John, where the Apostle John sets forth the glory of Christ as he is a distinct person from the Father, yet he is co-equal in their divinity. The word being Christ, uh, the second person of the blessed triune, was with God in the beginning. He shares the same essence with the Father. However, we see also this distinction within the persons of the Trinity. He is with God, but also takes it a step further. He is or is God. Jesus is not only uh, was not only with the Father in the beginning, but is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. And John 1, 1 is a perfect illustration of the distinctions within the persons of the Trinity. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Spirit is neither of the persons. But rather, they all share in that one divine, undivided essence. Well, all that means to be God, Jesus Christ has with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is the text, saints, that we must take glory in and, and we must uh, examine Jesus Christ in light of that text and, and, and his divinity uh, as well as to his uh, humanity. We also see uh, in John eight fifty eight, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, a classic text that you might have heard before. Uh, before Abraham was, I am. Now notice, saints, what... What Jesus is not saying here is he's not saying before Abraham was, I was. And, 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 he, and many love to, to use this text um, to say that, well, all Jesus is saying is he preexisted before Abraham. He might have been created. Uh, he might have been whatever, but he was there. And I don't think Jesus is merely speaking about his preexistence, although he is speaking about his preexistence. But more so, Jesus is speaking about before Abraham was, I am. He gives himself the divine name, I am. And when he says, I, I, when he says, I am, what Jesus is doing is he's harking back to Exodus 3.14, 
When, when Moses is speaking through, through God, through the burning bush, who's the name that, that, the, that God gives to Moses? When Moses says, who do I tell the people of Israel that you are? What's the name that God tells the Moses? Tell them I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And remember, saints, that that name I am is not the secret code name of God. That is his ontological, that speaks to his ontological being, that he is self-sufficient. To be I am means that he is of himself. There is none other. I am who I am. And here in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus is saying, I am. I am the one who spoke to, uh, ex, uh, who spoke to, uh, Moses in the burning bush. I am. And saints, uh, if you read more, especially in verse 59, you will see that they knew, the Jews knew what he was saying when, when Jesus said, I am. They knew that Christ was giving himself, uh, the divine name, God. For we, we see in verse 59, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. So they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming when he said, I am. Paul, speaking of Christ, says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Again, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Again, all that it means to be God, Jesus possesses colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 20 the apostle paul says of jesus christ he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority all things were created through him and for him And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here, saints, we have a clear description from the Apostle Paul of the divinity of the Son. In verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, he's said to be creator of all. Verse 17, he's eternal and upholds all things. Verse 18, he's the head of the church, the first fruits of the harvest. Verse 19, in Christ, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In verse 20, through Christ, we have peace with God. A clear affirmation of the deity of Christ from the lips of the Apostle Paul. Thomas, after seeing the risen Christ, says in John 20, verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas addressed Jesus as Lord. And the title of Lord here harkens back to the covenant name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. So when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, he's saying, my Yahweh, my Jehovah Yahweh. Matthew 14, verse 33, after Christ walked on water and claimed and calmed the storm, his disciples said to, uh, said this, and those in the boat worship him saying, truly you are the son of God. And, and, and there are, there's a debate out there that many atheists and, and liberal Muslims love to, to throw at Christians. And they, they tend to say that the disciples didn't even affirm that Jesus was God. But here we have a clear affirmation 
from the disciples that Jesus is truly God from the very lips of his disciples. Jesus is God. The title, Son of God, saints, we aren't to think that uh, means that Christ is of a lesser God than the Father. But that title, Son of God, means that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. To be the Son of God is to be of the same nature as God, of the Father. To be the Son of God is to be of God. And if you want more on that, listen to our lesson on the eternal generation of the Son. Uh, two more. First John 5.20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know Him uh, who is true, and we are in Him who is true. He is in his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the true God and eternal life. And lastly, Paul says in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In addition to these explicit texts that speak of the divinity of Christ, saints, uh, we see the divinity of Christ proved in other ways. Uh, we see Christ receives worship in John 9 and in Hebrews 1. Uh, we see Christ uh, cast out demons on his own authority in Matthew 8. And when you, when you examine Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34, um, I want to, let me just read the text. It says that two of these men were demon-possessed, uh, and they met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you do with us, O Son of God? The demons say, What have you do with us, O Son of God? The demons affirm the deity of Christ. They knew who Jesus Christ was. And what, what does Jesus do? When these demons are in these men, what does he do? He doesn't say, In my name, be gone. He simply says, go, and they leave. All other times when men are casting out demons, what do they say? In the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ uh, casts out demons on his own authority. And thirdly, we see the deity of Christ proved by his resurrection. Uh, in Romans 1, 4, I, I must read this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, uh, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in his holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and here it is, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What we see from the words of the Apostle Paul is the resurrection of Christ affirms and assures that Christ is truly and very God. The resurrection of Christ affirms and assures that Jesus Christ is truly and very God. And saints, when we think about the resurrection of Christ, and I don't want to get off on a, on a, on a, on a rabbit trail here because we will speak about this, but when we speak about the resurrection of Christ, we aren't to think that only the Father and the Father alone resurrected the Son. And many times in our language, we say that uh, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and based upon his perfect life and obedience to the law, the Father raised him from the dead. That is, to a certain extent, theologically improper to say. For not only, because when we say, if we say only the Father raised the Son, then what are we saying about the unity and harmony that exists between the three members or persons of the Trinity? When we say the resurrection of Christ, we are to think of the resurrection of Christ as a work of the triune God. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit all work together to raise the human soul and the human body of Jesus Christ. And when you think about this, that Jesus rose Jesus from the grave, then that's a perfect uh, illustration, or I should say example of the deity of Christ. But we'll get there when we speak about the resurrection of Christ. Saints, as we see, time does not permit us to uh, exhaustively look at all the Old Testament uh, texts uh, because there are a myriad multitude of, 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 of New Testament texts that speak of the deity of Christ. Um, but before we close this point, let me just give you a few Old Testament texts uh, that affirm the deity of Christ. And we have in Isaiah 6, uh, verse 1 through 5, um, this vision of the Lord that Isaiah, we spoke about this last uh, Lord's Day morning, where Isaiah sees this one sitting on a throne, and the one he sees is the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, I think that is a good scripture to go to. Isaiah 44, 6 says, um, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Besides me. And what we have is, in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verses 17 through 18, uh, Jesus comments on Isaiah 44, 6. Jesus says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. The very thing that was said in Isaiah 44, 6, and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, I have the, uh, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. And last one, Isaiah 9, 6, for us, uh, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, All uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, a clear uh, uh, example of the deity of Christ. And just to give you, if, if you if you mention this scripture to the Jehovah Witnesses, what they'll tend to do is they'll say, well, it doesn't say Almighty God. It just says Mighty God. And saints, when we talk about the deity of Christ, uh, with respect to speaking to Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, uh, don't think that you have to play these silly word games with them. The the word is the word is is sufficient. It's an errant and it's true. And it clearly uh, says and witnesses to us the deity of Christ, saints. So now let's consider the last point, and that is, why does this matter, and how do we live in light of this? So why does this matter, and how do we live in light of this teaching, in light of Understanding and knowing the deity of Christ, why does this matter? And how do we live? <clears throat> First, let's examine why does this matter? Affirming the deity of Christ matters. For if we deny the deity of Christ, then we're not Christians. Simple as that. If we deny the deity of Christ and what the church has held on to throughout uh, the history of the church, if we deny that, then saints, you have no business calling yourself a saint or calling yourself a Christian. Uh, it is of utmost importance that you affirm the deity of Christ. There is no neutrality in this. We can't budge on the deity of Christ. He is God, truly God, and we must affirm from our lips wholeheartedly that Jesus Christ is God. Number two, the deity of Christ matters, for if Christ is not God, then we are worshiping an idol. If Christ is not God, then we are worshiping an idol. If the notion that Jesus was once a man, 
then and then by perfect obedience became God. If that is true, which is not, but if that is true, then we are not worshiping the one true God. We are worshiping an idol. The worship that we offer to Christ is the worship to a glorified man. And if we are to worship, um, if we are to say that that Jesus is not fully God, and, and, and we say that we are worshiping an idol, then this begs the question, saints, then in what ways can you not obtain what Jesus Christ obtained? If we say that Jesus was once a man and became God by perfect obedience, then in what ways, in what sense can we, then can we say, well, why can't you do the same thing, which is the heresy of Mormonism? Uh, you, you will become gods one day, just as Jesus was once a man and became God. Uh, thirdly, affirming the deity of Christ matters for our salvation. Uh, uh, affirming the deity of Christ matters for our salvation. If Jesus Christ was strictly a human, then saints, we are dead in our sins. Again, if Jesus Christ was strictly 100% only a human, it was not divine, then we are still dead in our sins. For only one who was truly God and truly man could have ever perfectly fulfilled the law. No mere man, uh, born of a woman, could live perfectly to the law of God. No mere man could do it. But in addition to that, no mere man could satisfy and exhaust the wrath of God. No mere man could uh, satisfy and exhaust the wrath of God. The blood of a mere man is of no worth to atone for the sins of a people who are dead in their sins. If a mere man was to shed his blood, then what value is that? How is there value in that? If Jesus were not divine, then he could not have uh, been sinless. And if Jesus was not sinless, then he could have not qualified to take the punishment of our sins upon the cross. For if Jesus was not sinless... If he was just a mere man, then he himself would need his sins atoned for. Who would atone for the sins of Christ if he was just a mere man? And fourthly, uh, the deity of Christ matters because it authenticates the inspiration and authority of Scripture. The deity of Christ matters because it authenticates the inspiration and authority of Scripture. Meaning, uh, since Jesus fulfilled all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, uh, since Jesus performed miracles and rose from the dead, like he said he was going to do, not only does this point to his divinity, but also authenticates the word of God. Saints, I wonder what you would say if someone was to ask you, how do you know the Bible is true? What would you say, honestly? What would you turn we must we must uh, examine the deity of Christ for it is uh, ample enough evidence for us to uh, to slash any argument that people throw at us and say that the Bible is not from God. The Bible is not uh, inerrant and perfect and infallible. <clears throat> what we see in uh, the the deity of Christ and and um, all of the, the the prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ and all the things that Christ said uh, were true. What we see is. That the Bible is not just a bunch of made-up stories, but rather the Bible is is a record of of actual and historical events. 
So saints, in light of this doctrine, how do we live? How do we live in light of this doctrine? We, we've seen why does it matter. Now, how do we live in light of this? Well, let me first say that anytime we study the deity of Christ or anytime we look at the doctrine of Christ, this isn't just material for us to store up in our brains and wait for an atheist or a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon to come for us to finally bring out what we know about the deity of Christ. But saints, this is glorious truth. Anytime we have a chance to examine the deity of Christ, we are not examining just facts, but we are examining glorious truth that we are to marvel in. They're not just material for us to store up on our heads and, and do nothing with it, but it's for us to worship Christ in light of what we've learned. And throughout our study through Christology, we ought to remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2.3, Christ in, him, in whom are hidden all the treasures in wisdom and knowledge. The highest science of, of theology and, and, and of what anyone can know is the doctrine of Christ is the doctrine of Christ. We ought to take delight in studying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not that we're putting Christ on a table and we're dissecting him, but we are looking at the, the clear evidence and, and biblical revelation of Jesus Christ. Our response should be one like Thomas. As he looked face to face with the risen Lord and as he saw the hole in, in Christ's hands and as he placed his hand on the pierced side of our Lord, what does he say? My Lord and my God. That is how we live in light of the deity of Christ. My Lord and my God. And saints, that is an appropriate response. And dare I say, that is the only proper response to looking at and examining the deity of Christ. Thomas's response is to be prototypical of every Christian. We are to be Thomas-like Christians. When we uh, come across a scripture that, that clearly speaks of the deity of Christ, we are to fall on our knees and say, my Lord and my God. With our lips, we affirm the deity of Christ, and with our body, we fall on our knees to worship our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.